Well, good morning. Isn't that cool? Matt just went from full-time staff to volunteer just, just, just a couple of minutes ago. That was really nice of him, right? All right, Proverbs chapter 3 is where we're going to pick up today. If you guys would turn there, I would appreciate it. And uh, one thing I will say, we love Megan. It, to work with her has been great. Uh, their staff went through some things. Uh, they lost a full-time staff person this week who went to another, not lost, and died. He's alive. He got another job. He's good. But uh, I know the three of them do a ton of work, and so we love partnering with the city, and so we're incredibly grateful. One of the things she didn't say is when we provided those trunks, those trunks were not just trunks. They were all off-road Jeeps, which made it way cooler than just trunks, all right? So we're gonna, we've been uh, in this series through Proverbs just talking about practical wisdom, that God gives us practical wisdom, that this practical wisdom, everyday wisdom, practical theology, if you would, that this flows from the gospel through a transformed heart into wisdom in our lives. And so this isn't just, hey, do these rules and these are the outcomes. This is when, when God takes root in your life that, that wisdom is the outcome, that we have the opportunity to grow and change and become like Christ. And, and that God, who designed us and loves us, wants us to live in a way that is fruitful and peaceful for us. And so God gives us practical wisdom. It's not just all about him or all about things that, you know, this is, hey, for eternity, but it's for right here, for right now, that the gospel takes root and it's for the here and now. And so that's really where Proverbs resonates with us is it hits really where we live. And so we're aiming at this through the beginning of the year for a reason. Many of us right now, have either already or in the middle of making plans for this year. We've maybe set some goals and said, okay, this year I want to be healthier, or this year I, I want to, or, you know, maybe you're getting married and you're like, okay, I want to work on my relationship. Maybe you're having kids and you want to become a, a good and godly parent to your children. And maybe you have financial goals. That's a really, really common thing uh, for all of us, Christian, non-Christian. A lot of people set those financial goals at the beginning of the year. Well, probably the topic that Proverbs speaks the most about is finances. And so we're going to take two messages this week and next week, and they're going to be different styles of messages all through Proverbs. Today's going to focus on the heart of finances. How do we approach finances in our hearts? And then next week will be incredibly practical. So think heart and hands, if you will. And so today, how do we approach things? How do we, how, where do we put finances in our life? How do we do that rightly and in a godly way? And then next week is, is really pragmatic and, and really also very biblical. So we're going to do both those messages, and we could spend the next four, five, six weeks in Proverbs on finances and never exhaust what it has to say. So we're going to condense a lot. And on that note, if you have our app, or if you don't and you're on Realm, our communication system, I posted eight, um, eight things that we're going to cover at the end that I'm going to hit really, really fast. And then if you have our app, all the notes that will hit the screen today are in the notes section on the app. And so don't think you have to write all this down or take pictures of the screen or whatever so fast. You don't. We've given them to you. If for some reason neither one of those mediums work for you, let me know, and I'll, I'll just give you my notes somehow, some way. And so I just want you to know that we're going to hit things that are very practical at the end, but we're going to hit them fast. And so just so we can keep in some kind of time constraint. So I want to start here, if you would, that first verse out of Matthew. Jesus says this, he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve 
God and money. Now, the word used here for money is translated money, but uh, mammon, if you have an older translation, it'll give you the actual word sometimes. It has more than just finances or money to it. It has to do with kind of the power that is the position behind money, that you can't serve God and that. And so what we're saying is you can't serve two masters, and really you can insert anything down here other than God, and that's still true. But what Jesus is saying is the thing that resonates most in our lives is so many people idolize wealth or finance that they end up giving their lives to it. You can't make that your God. And you can't follow God and that, that you will love one and hate the other, be devoted to one and not to the other. And so that's what Jesus tells us. And I would say this, that doesn't make them mutually exclusive. What it means is you can't be devoted to money and God. So let me put it to you this way. Kind of a main idea for today is this. God and wealth are not mutually exclusive, but they are frequently incompatible because of our tendency to worship money. Having a right heart about finances is the key to wisdom. It's the key to wisdom that we need, right? Having that right heart about finances, it can't be the end-all, be-all, right? It can't become our God. God must be God, and we must place finances under that somehow. And so we're going to look at that today. So as we do that, let's pray, and we'll open up the Bible together. Jesus, we love you. As we gather today, it's because of you. It's because you came and entered our story. Uh, Jesus, that you not only entered into human history, God in the flesh, but you've also entered our stories. And that you've come in and impacted our lives and, and transformed our lives and in such a way that we have said we want to give our lives to you, that we want to follow you as our God forever. And you have transformed us and you have changed us. You are alive. You, you lived. You died. You rose again. And, and so we pray to you a living God, a God who has entered our story and entered into humanity. And so when we say wisdom, we know that you are the source of all wisdom, as one of these passages will say today. So Jesus, these are your words. Help me to share your words. In fact, Jesus, let me fade into the background somewhere, and Jesus, will you speak? We are your church, and we need your words. Your words give us life, and especially in these days today, we just need life. So Jesus, meet us here this morning. In your name, amen. So Proverbs 3, we're going to pick up in a verse that we read last week. We're going to kind of dive right in where we left off. So verse 9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So the command we talked, we just looked at this verse last week, kind of skimmed through it, talked about it for a second, said we'd pick it up this week. But honor the Lord with the first fruits, or honor the Lord. If you just hear that word, honor the Lord, it makes it a heart issue. And so where in this do we place our finances? How do we fill that into our lives? And really, this is a, a thing that crosses uh, age and, and gender, ethnicity, generation, socioeconomic status, income levels. It crosses all of that. Because you can be broke and make finances the controlling entity in your life because you don't have it, right? Because, you, because you're struggling to get through life and you think money is the answer to that. And, and, and admittedly, we live in a world of economics where we need money to live. We need money to eat or have a home. 
But you can also be at the top of the income bracket, and you've made money an idol. You've made money a god, and the pursuit of money still drives your life. There are those famous words by, I believe it was John D. Rockefeller, when asked, said, how much is enough money? And one of the wealthiest men alive said, just a little bit more. And that's when, when you say, okay, you've got gazillions of dollars, right? You're, you're Mark Cuban level, Trump level income bracket. Isn't that enough? And they would say, no, we, we need just a little bit more. And that should show you the condition of our heart. We should all, at whatever income level we're at, be able to be in a place where we have enough. Maybe we strive for more. Maybe we learn to live where we are. And so we've said this each week. Uh, We've tried to plug this as much as we could, but Financial Peace starts today. So if you've never heard of that, Financial Peace University is a nine-week course that works through everything from very fundamentals to very practical uh, future-looking financial steps. And uh, today, if I understand correctly, Christine and Junior are leading today as a free class in the nine-week series. The nine-week series isn't free, and it's not because we're charging you. You just have to buy the materials from, from uh, Dave Ramsey and Financial Peace. If you ever watch uh, some of the business channels, Dave Ramsey has a radio show and, and a, a, a TV show, one of the, the most well-known financial consultants, I guess you would say. But he's a Christian, and he does this from a biblical perspective. Many of these verses in Proverbs this week and next week, he speaks about. And so, we're given that, so they give that first class away that you could come and experience that and listen and say, okay, is this something I need? And I would say if you've never been through it, if you have any kind of credit card debt, if you're not preparing to retire, if any of those things are true, if you're burying yourself in school debt, right? That resonates with a lot of us, Right? You should do this. This would be good for you, that this would be prudent for you to do. And so that begins today, but it begins with this. Where do finances land in your heart? Are they in a right place? Are they really low on the spectrum and you just do anything and don't care about it? That's probably wrong, right? Or do they take the place where they are so consuming, where you overwork and and, and just drive through your life where they dominate? And so it says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So this is obviously in an agrarian setting where God is speaking to people who primarily grow crops and raise animals. And what he's saying is, he's always called the people of God when they receive to take the first part or a tithe, the first tenth, and give to God. Give to the community of faith, the church, the temple, wherever, throughout the, the line of scripture, wherever they were. And for some of you sitting here, you're like, okay, so he's asking for my money. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's what God has been saying is, listen, honor the God with the first fruits of your, whatever your income is, whatever you've grown, whatever you raise, whatever money you make. And then he gives you really a promise on the other side. It's kind of an if-then conditional clause. He says, if you do this, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. He's saying, if you honor God, then you will have enough. And it's counterintuitive. Because a lot of us, when we look at what we bring in and we look at what's going out, we look at them and there's not a whole lot of margin in most people's lives. In fact, many, if not most of America, live beyond their means. That's why many of us don't pay cash for things or have a debt on cars or credit cards or houses or whatever. We just live beyond what we can afford. And today, the housing market, as by the way, yes, our house closed. Thank you. So many of you asked. I appreciate that. 
We are right up next to Biola. It's a whole Biola crew back here, right? We're right there in the heart of Biola, which is really cool. Today's housing market, it's crazy. I don't know anybody that pays cash for a house, right? I know maybe there are some. But we live in this place where things are so expensive. And so God is saying, listen, I know it might be counterintuitive, but if you will honor God with your finances, you will have enough. He'll provide is what he's saying. So verse 11 says this, My son did not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves those whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. And so we've talked about this each week, that this book is written by Solomon, intended for his son. This is given to us, but he writes it as a father to a son. So he writes it as a father who deeply loves his son and wants his son to have the best life. Just as God would write it to us, his sons and daughters, that we would have the best life, the life we were designed to live as he created us. And so this is written not from a place of judgment or rulemaking, but as fatherly loving advice through wisdom. It said, blessed is the one, verse 13, who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, meaning wisdom, is better than gain from silver and her profit than gold. I asked this um, I think it was last week. I asked a different version of this, but as we map out this year, as we're looking at 2018 and the goals that we've set for this year, many of you have set out financial goals, right? Saving for college, paying for college, living within your means, paying off debt, buying a house, things like that. How many of you have set wisdom goals? One. That's good. All right. So maybe there's more than you, but there was one. All right. So how many of us sit down and go, okay, this year I want to do this, and so I'm going to start with what will make us wise in that area? How will God teach us to live in that way? And so really, we will, we will look to anything. If I want to be healthier, rather than go back and go, okay, what does God say about my health, which we'll actually talk about next month? But instead of looking at that, we will go anywhere else, right? We will find someone, we're like, okay, I've read about vegans over here. I've read about paleo people over here. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But sometimes the simplest place is just to pull back and ask God, okay, how can I wisely approach my health, finances, behaviors, relationships? Setting the goal is great, but how we achieve it, do we, do we include God in that process? I asked at the beginning of this series, do we even include God in our planning? Do we set aside that time to just kind of have a blank slate, a blank journal, if you will, or a blank, however you do your goals? And just spend time, maybe you're single, maybe you're married, maybe you've got kids, you're a family, whatever you are. Just sit back and go, okay, can we pray? Can we spend time and can we just ask where God would take us this year? Or if it's at the end of the year and say, God, where, where, where's God taking us next year? And include God in that process. And then, okay, so God says, here's where I want you to go. And they say, well, what does God say about this? What does God say about a house? What does God say about finances? What does God say about health or planning, behaviors, relationships? And how can I begin with God? And that doesn't mean that the only thing you can ever read is the Bible. I mean, there's all kinds of great things written, both by Christians and non-Christians alike. But putting God in that starting point is critical.
Verse 13, he says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit, meaning her, meaning wisdom, profit better than gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. How many of us would really truly say that our lives reflect the belief that we think wisdom is more important than wealth or finance or income? How many of us really, if we look at how we live, would say that our lives reflect a deeper pursuit of wisdom? I mean, even when I say that out loud, I, all I can imagine is like some Confucian meditating monks. I mean, like, I get an image that doesn't even look like us, right? Our lives reflect, the things that we do reflect our values. And our values, our lives, what we reflect, show us what we really truly are pursuing. And how many of us would say we're really truly pursuing wisdom? I mean, is this the extent of the time we spend focused on hearing from God? Or do we carve out time every day to hear from God, to listen to God, to study what God would tell us? Do we... Do we make that primary in our lives and, and, and let it impact all the different pieces of our lives? Verse 16, long life is in her. Let me, let me back out of that for a second. In, in Proverbs, the word wisdom, uh, you'll often hear this, the Greek term is Sophia, right? And that Sophia is a female term, meaning male, female, or neuter, right? It's a female term, Sophia. And so because of this, the same thing is true in Hebrew. So they've given wisdom this image of a female, and there's kind of two females that kind of play back and forth inside of Proverbs. One is wisdom, and the other is the seductress. And the seductress doesn't have to be sexual or physical, but the thing that would lure you away from wisdom. Think like wife and the one who would lure you away from your wife, right? And so it's written, and so wisdom is called this her, this, this beautiful and life-giving her, and so as God speaks, he's painting this picture of beauty, of a beautiful woman, and that's what wisdom is like. And so he says this, Sol uh, Solomon says this, long life is in her hand, her right hand, excuse me, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Now the difference here between right hand and left hand, so for those of you that are southpaws, those of you left-handed, sorry, just... Deal with it, right? I mean, like the bulk of the planet is right-handed, and that's how it's written. Clearly, Solomon was not a lefty. Okay, so here's the deal. So wisdom, long, so for wisdom, the woman in her right hand, right? That's that, that hand of strength, that hand of priority. And then the left hand, equally important, because those of us that have two hands are not really willing to give away one. Fair enough? All right. So left hand, still valuable. Right hand, a little more gifted. Not a lot, it's a little, right? I can write better, maybe, right? So there's two things, and again, they're both valuable and important. Nobody wants to pick their best hand and just go, this is the only one I need. They're both important. So I want you to hear that. He says, long life is in her, meaning wisdom's right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. And so what really Solomon is saying is, listen, within wisdom's hand, long life, a good life, a peaceful life, life, 
abundant life is in her right hand, her primary hand. And in her left hand, valuable, important, really don't want to get rid of it, is her finances. So here's just as you're note taking, uh, here's what I wanted to say. God calls us to be wise about finances, making finances a priority, but not our focus or not our primary priority. Focus on wisdom and financial benefit is a byproduct, not the other way around. Focus on finances, you don't necessarily yield wisdom. In fact, I would say for sure you're missing wisdom. Focus on wisdom and financial benefit is a byproduct. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This isn't a promise, right? This is not prosperity doctrine, right? This is, that's not the gospel. Gospel, Jesus does not want you to be rich. He wants you to be his. But he's not opposed to you being rich as long as you're his first. And then there is rich or, or whatever that means because, granted, all of us in this room, not many of us consider ourselves rich, and yet we've got more than 98, 99% of the world all of us do, the brokest among us do. So that's a relevant term, right? Like our broke have iPhones, right? We have more. So wealth is relative. Being rich to the rest of the world is what we are. To us, we're all struggling to get by because we live in Southern California, it's super expensive, right? So wisdom must become our focus. This doesn't matter if you're a student, junior high, high school, college, it doesn't matter. Finances need to be used wisely, whatever it is you get. If you're young and getting married or young and married, maybe young and just starting a family, maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum aiming towards retirement. It doesn't matter if you're a worker, a manager, an owner. It doesn't matter. Wisdom is the key to making those financial decisions in a godly way, in a way that benefit you. Verse 17, her, again meaning wisdom, her ways are of pleasantness and her paths are of peace. Now, how many of you would say that when you are working with your bills and your finances, your response, your expression, the thing you feel is peace? Really? No one. Who knew when I asked that question it would go that way? All right. That's why it's called financial peace. I think we've got the slide for you. And listen, I, do we have a slide for that? Okay, pretend there's a really cool slide up here that says financial peace. Here's financial. No, okay. So that's why it's called financial peace. Because that is not normally the expression we feel when we deal with it. But there is a way to live where it is peaceful. And you're like, yeah, it would be like a million more dollars, right? But there's a way to live in peace no matter what you have. It says, your money, your story, your life. Learn God's ways of handling money with Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And then he talks about some turnarounds, some ideas. Most people turn around about $8,000 in debt in the first year, it says. Um, imagine that to be across the country where people don't make as much or owe as much as we do here. The turnarounds here tend to be a little higher. We've got some great stories in our church of people that are debt-free completely and have overcome some big numbers. And yeah, that breeds peace in your life. Being in debt and paying bills and wondering, does this check cover all these bills, does not give you peace. Wisdom, he says, 
gives you peace and long life. Verse 18, it says, She, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Now, tree of life is a unique phrase. Where else do we hear tree of life in the Bible? Oh, I heard it over here. Genesis and Revelation, right? Both Genesis and Revelation, the first book and the last book, talk about a tree of life. The only other place in the Bible is Proverbs. Proverbs uses this language of the tree of life four times. If you can imagine the bookends, if you will, of the Bible, of creation and recreation or full restoration, in terms of the gospel, we talk about creation, fall, redemption, recreation or restoration, that, that God created us, designed us, created this earth, planted us here, and gave us a way to live that is, that is good for us and is right as the way he designed us. And then sin, anything other than that, us choosing to go our own way, which we all do, none of us are free of that, right? We all choose to go our own way. That is the thing that separates us. So the gospel says, so Jesus, God became flesh, Jesus entered into human history, and he lived the way we are called to live. He died the death we deserve. He was buried in a grave, but rose from the grave in three days. That Jesus rose from the dead to give us new life is fundamental to the gospel. But then the passage doesn't stop there. Jesus ascends and pours out his spirit upon us, calls us to be his witnesses here where we live and the surrounding areas and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus promises us, and I will come again. I will return. I'm going to reign from heaven while the gospel goes forward through you, and I will return, and I will restore all things. And in between creation and fall, in between the way God made it and the way we messed it up, the story of the gospel is prominent, and it calls us to be restored, to be redeemed through the gospel. And right in the middle of that, we get Proverbs who gives us four different times the language of the tree of life. Here's one of them that we haven't read yet. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. Right there in Proverbs is a unique usage of the gospel that presses us into allowing God to recreate us in his image. And he hits us right here where we live, and one of the greatest places we all struggle, and it's in finances. Number one breakup of marriage now is not infidelity anymore. It's finances. Finances has overtaken that by a great margin. So right there in that place, God reminds us we can redeem everything, that he can redeem anything. And so he calls us to living in a way that God has transformed us, that the gospel has changed us, that moves us in this direction of becoming more and more godly, and it goes right for the heart, really, in this case, of finances. Back at verse 18, let's read that again. She, meaning wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast call her blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, and by understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew all the way back to creation, the author of Proverbs reminds us that there is a way that God created us to live and that living in our created way, in our designed way, that 
ontological purpose for Bible nerds like me, right? That way that God designed us to be, that living in that way leads us back to that tree of life, that brings us back to that place of peace, that place of communion with God. He goes on, verse 21, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Again, that fatherly advice Keep sound wisdom. They'll be life for you. They will adorn your neck. They will give you peace, as Solomon writes this. Verse 23 says this, Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. I'm going to ask you, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, turn the pages a couple pages to Proverbs 27. If you have an app, just scroll down a little bit. And I want to read this to you again. I want to, I want to talk through this just for a minute. He's talking about wisdom and finances, and he says this. He says, then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. Do you know the number one thing that women say they want in a relationship? All these women and no answer. Odd. Security. Security, right? They want to know they are secure in that relationship, whatever that means, whether that's financial security, a secure home, a secure relationship with a man who she knows she can trust, whatever that might be. Number one thing women say they want in a relationship is security. Let me just ask you this. If you missed the next four paychecks, how would you be? Not secure. Good answer. Not secure at all. Right? Really secure living back at home with mom. Right? That's... that's right? Security. Knowing that we have lived in such a way that not everything hangs in such a fragile balance is the number one thing that women say they want from a relationship, from a marriage, from a family. It says wisdom causes this security. It says this, then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. Now, being wise in your finances does not promise nothing will go wrong. Right? But if you are wise in your finances, if you have a margin in which you live in, if you have a savings that can cover things, when bad things happen, you're just more prepared for them. They feel less bad. Right? You lose a job, it's less critical. doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. You lose, a lo- you lose a loved one or things like that. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't change your life forever. But it causes some of these things to not be so deeply uprooting of your life. So he says, wisdom, listen, will we'll cause you to walk securely and cause your foot not to stumble. You'll be able to carry the load of bad things better. So I want to go to, from, to uh, Proverbs 27. I want to work through this really quick, but I, wanna, I didn't want to leave today just theoretic. I just want to make it a little more practical. So 27, Proverbs 27, starting in verse 21, says this. The crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. It's not a term we use all the time, so I want to put a definition up for you, and we'll leave this definition up here while I read through some of this. A crucible is a ceramic or metal container in which metals or other substances may be melted or subjected to very high temperatures. When you think of a goldsmith or a silversmith, a crucible back then was the thing by which they would melt the gold and refine the metal, melt gold, silver, whatever. That would be the crucible. Another way is a place or occasion of severe test or trial, the crucible of combat, right? Both definitions work for this passage. I know these are very different definitions, but hear this through the lens of both those definitions. Here's what verse 21 says. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and a man is tested by his praise. 
right? That crucible for man is a severe trial or a refining, and that lands most often in our finances, and it causes us to be very tested, it says, in our praise. I want you to think in our worship, in our relationship with God, that when those things happen, when we are unprepared for bad things to happen, when our heart has been in the wrong place and we have wanted things immediately, things maybe we couldn't afford, when we've gotten ourselves to a place where we can't afford to live the way we've been living, especially if something bad, some hiccup in life, then it happens and we begin to question our faith. We begin to question, is God good? Why is this? Rather than thinking, man, I should have been what God has called me to be all along. I should have been wiser. I should should have have listened to God. I should have spent more time focused on God and less time focused on the new thing I had to have that as soon as you get it, it's unfulfilling. And then when bad things happen, you're just more prepared in your heart, in your mind, even in your bank account. That the testing tests your faith And oftentimes those things have to do with finances. Sometimes over death and loss, but many times it's over financial crisis. Verse 22, it says this, Crush a fool in a mortar and a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. If you heard the first couple messages, we talked about that the intended hearers or the, the images were given for people as it relates to wisdom are the young, the simple, the wise, and the fools. And the young are just young. The expectations are lower, and they have not yet grown wise. The simple are any age, but in an area, they're just unlearned. We would say they're ignorant of wisdom in that, but I know when we hear ignorant, we hear a very demeaning term. So simple. The wise are those who have gone through life, they've learned from life, they've applied it to their lives in practical ways, and they've become wise. And then the fool is the one who continues to make the same mistakes over and over, who has been taught, who has heard, who has had chance to turn around and has chosen to ignore it. And that's the foolish. And it says that the fool can be be crushed in a pestle and mortar. Pestle and mortar, I laughed. My wife just bought something for grinding up spices. Same thing, pestle and mortar. Little thing and something to grind up spices, right? A lot of you ladies are nodding. Dudes are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Doesn't matter. Little thing where you grind up stuff, that's what it is, right? A fool can be ground up in that and never learn his lesson and still return to his folly. You can be crushed under the weight of your poor decisions and finances and still not change, is what he's saying. You see, the young have not learned yet. The simple are just unlearned. Both have an opportunity to learn and to grow. The wise put that into play. The fools continue to let life beat them down without change or transformation. And again, I'm not talking about making rules for something. I'm talking about letting God take root in you and change your heart. That your heart towards these things would not be idolatrous, but place them as priorities, as wisdom, as planning under God. He goes on, he says this. Now, here is, by the way, Solomon's financial plan, if you will. He says this, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Now again, agrarian society, right? Talking about those who grow she- uh, raise sheep and, and cattle and whatever, and those who grow crops. So that's an agrarian society. In this case, like 98, 99% of the entire culture 
did one of those two things, if not both. And so here's what he's saying. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever and, a, and does a crown endure to all generations. When he's saying, know well the condition of your flocks. Here's what he's saying. Do you understand the condition of the things you own? I'll give you just a simple example. When we were looking to buy this house, we had an inspector come out. It's part of the process. The inspector came out, looked at everything. And one of the big questions are, how's the roof? Why? Because roofs are expensive. And they go, and you're not prepared, you're in trouble, right? Because you just can't have really your house is kind of pointless without a roof, right? And so how is it? How old is it? Let's look at it. What is, where, know well the condition of whatever it is, your flocks, your, your income, your job, your ownership, the things that you have. Know well the condition of the car you drive. Know what you need. It's like kind of the kick in the tires thing of the car, right? Know the condition. And then he says this, because a crown doesn't last forever. Your finances don't last forever. The tires on your car, the brakes on your car, the roof on your house will not last forever. Your job may not last forever. Do you know the condition of the things that can break you financially? He goes on to say this, verse 25. When the grass is gone and new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and maintenance of your girls. He goes from know well the condition of what you have. Understand it won't be there forever to this. When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, he's saying this, when time passes, will you still have what you need? When you grow older, will you be okay? Right? Now, at 18 years old, I was not thinking like this for sure. At 48, thinking differently, right? Those of you that are 58, 68, 78, eight, right? You're like, you still got a lot of time left, but you're thinking differently, right? How much better if we start thinking like this when we're 18? Right? The thing, the, the place I could have been if I thought better at 18, well, the places I wouldn't have had to go would be also better. That's a whole other story, right? Not wise, super foolish, you get the point. But he says this, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats for a price, the price of a field. He says when the lambs grow old and they can no longer really are healthy or produce for you, they will still be clothing for you. And you will sell goats for the price of a field. You have this plan of what am I going to do with what I have today and what will I do with that as tomorrow comes. He's really kind of saying investing in the future or understanding how what you have today can help you in the future. The lamb that you have today or the goat that provides milk today, those things later will provide for you in a different way if you're wise with them now. He says, this won't be enough goat's milk for your food and the food of your household and the maintenance of your girls. He's saying, listen, if you're wise now, you can leave an inheritance to your family. You can provide for, now remember, in this culture, uh, girls didn't have a whole lot going on for them. They didn't own businesses and do things. They were not in the same place that, uh, that women here are in society. So families would have to care for widowed or unmarried or young daughters. 
maybe forever. So he's saying, listen, plan well now, and you can leave an inheritance. You can care for your girls for a long time. You can care for your kids. You can help them as they grow up. I want to do this. I told you we would, be, we would go through this really quick, but I've, play, I've posted this everywhere and offered to give it to you if you can't get it from any of those places. I want to give you four different positive heart attributes about finances, and I want to give you four kind of challenges or negative heart attributes that you can work on. And I'm going to go really fast. Don't even try and write them down. Just let us get them to you, and I'm going to close with this. Can you go to the first one? Riches is the product of wisdom. It says this, by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. As you build not just your physical home but your family and your life, it is built in wisdom. You will fill the rooms with knowledge and understanding. Next one. The value of possessing virtue over wealth. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. You can see that Proverbs has a lot to say about that particular thing. It is better to be a man or a woman of character and faith than it is to be wealthy. Not really how our culture approaches wealth today. So that is very countercultural. Next one. Honoring the Lord, giving to God first. Proverbs 3, this is where we began. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We'll talk more about that next week. There are tons that Proverbs says about this. But to honor God and give to the work of the ministry, the church that you call home. By honoring God first, and he says, listen, let him take care of all the rest. We'll talk again more about that next week. Next slide. Planning increases opportunity for generosity. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. Planning, saving, investing, being wise with your finances, not foolish, gives opportunity for you to be generous. Every generation in here, whether it be World War II generation who were incredibly generous to the churches, oftentimes left a lot of a lot of inheritance to other generations, down to millennials who are incredibly generous and give to all kinds of causes. Here's what you would need to hear. You can only give if you have it. And you will not have it if you don't plan to have it. Planning gives you opportunity to be generous and make a difference in the world. Next slide. Four things that will challenge you. Trusting in money before God. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Proverbs has lots to say about that. Trusting in money. Now, I know on our money it says, in God we trust. I know that doesn't make it true. Or we would treat our finances differently. You can't trust in money before God. Next slide. Keeping up with the neighbors or Kardashians. One pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Yet another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Some of the most wealthy people I've ever met, you'd never know. I was watching one of those shows where Mark Cuban was just talking about who he is. And uh, he said something I, I just always thought, like, I'm going to work hard enough so I don't have to dress up, right? Because I don't really enjoy that. Mark Cuban, I've never seen dressed up, right? Who cares? He has more money than the planet, right? One pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. You can kind of do what you want once 
you don't have to do, right? Next slide. Ill-gotten gain. The getting of treasure by, li by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Pretty self-explanatory. As you gain money um, lacking virtue and character, it's fleeting. You gain it with good character and godly character, you keep it a lot longer. Next slide. Pleasure and personal wealth. Whoever loves pleasure will be poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Insert the brand new iPhone. I'm totally guilty of it, right? He who loves stuff will be broke. <laughs> right? Is there one more? Is that it? That's it. We'll leave it with that. He who loves stuff will be broke. That's my translation, the Jeff translation of Proverbs. That's free. You can take that home with you and quote it, right? Where is finances in your life? Where are they in your heart is what I want to know. Do they dominate your time and your planning? When you look at the money you spend, are you a slave to that? When you look at the work hours you put in, are you just slugging it out because you can't make it make ends meet any other way? Or do you actually have peace about your finances? And if you don't, I can't challenge you more to go over, take the free class today. Just go hear what it's about. It costs you nothing but an hour or so, 90 minutes, I think. Go over to the offices after this and just hear it. And if you'd like to have peace in this area of your life, let them walk you through this. Let God be first and foremost. Let the gospel change your heart and let finances be planned and, and, and be of value. Let leaving an inheritance to the next generation, living this life in such a way you can make a positive and generous impact on the world, let that be who you are. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. As you have poured out your life for us, instead of chasing wealth, chasing pleasure, or chasing anything, you chased after God so that you could chase after us even as hard as we run away from you. And Jesus, you have loved us. You gave yourself up for us. Being wise and generous, you have given your life for us. Jesus, let us imitate you in this most challenging of ways in the finances, as that is such a tough thing that so many of us set goals, that so many of us plan for this. Let us be wise that this thing has become so unmanageable in our economy, in our culture, that it wrecks marriages, that it causes suicides. Lord, let us be different. Let us learn from you. Let us put you first and learn what you have given us about finances. Jesus, let us be like you in all ways and put, us, put you first in our hearts. Amen.